American Craftsman Podcast is proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. The West was built by people with strength and great pride in their workmanship. It was a necessity that early settlers of Montana have a strong will, a resilient character, and great determination to tame the rugged landscape while adapting to its dramatic climate. That spirit, made the USA pride in craftsmanship, is alive today, both in how Montana Brand Tools are manufactured and how they perform. Montana Brand Power Tool accessories are manufactured utilizing proprietary, state-of-the-art CNC machining equipment and the highest quality materials available. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist, located in Ronan, Montana. Montana Brand's heritage comes from a long line of innovative power tool accessories. Use coupon code American Craftsman for 10% off your order at MontanaBrandTools.com. Here we go. After deleting uh, 120 meg- gigabytes <laughs> of footage, we're back in action. There we go. Ain't technology wonderful? Yeah. Episode 35. Is it 35? Of the American Craftsman podcast. Yeah. Sure it's not 36? Mm, could be. <laughs> We're supposed to be good with numbers. I think it might be 36. <laughs> you know, it's it's integral to Episode our, 36 of the American Craftsman Podcast. It's, it's integral to our well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we, you know, uh, we remember the numbers that matter. You, you know what happened the last time we let somebody run numbers that didn't know what they were doing? Oh, I remember vividly. <laughs> I think he went on a camping trip. We haven't seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> that great that great campground in the sky? No, well, no, I won't no. say that, but somewhere. Yeah. Close. Yeah. Um I I need this beer right now, so yeah. let's just get into the beer let's of the week. Let's bust it open. So we've got uh this it's way too hard to pour the beers over there, so All might right. as well just move these glasses now. We're still figuring out the logistics of our. Yeah, you can my hand me that. We got another beer from uh, from our buddy at Kitsune this week. Kitsune Brewing out in Arizona. Beer Valley Road. Thank you. Almost hit the camera. Uh, so this week we have the DDH Spring Showers. It stands for Double Dry Hopped. Hmm. Um, and I pulled a little blurb off of uh, their Instagram here. This Double Dry Hop Mosaic Explosion is bursting with citrus and fruity flavors that will beg the question, why aren't I drinking another one? From Kitsune <laughs> Brewing. Oh, yeah. Smells good. Another super hazy beer. I was about to say that. It has a similar appearance to last week's. So that's a good sign. Mm. Yeah, last week we had the mosey. The mosey. Yeah, mosey From, on uh, down. something Goliath, something... Uh yeah, some, Toppling Goliath Brewery. Yeah, Topping Goliath. Out of uh, was that the beer out of Iowa? Yeah, yeah. Last week was Iowa all day. Right, we is that the, where Wiss was made too? Yeah, yeah. Huh. And um, 
We had, we're talking about those Dubuque clamps. Yeah, that was almost going to be my tool of the week, but I haven't really gotten um, enough time on them. Excuse the long pours. You know, these things, yeah. they had to travel from the shop and back of my truck and then into my house and then into the fridge and then down here. Then from here to there to there, back over here. Yeah, people think we're just... Uh, Lying by the seat of our pants somehow. And we are. <laughs> These things are orchestrated. Well, I'm going to have to drink some of this. All right. Cheers. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers to all you out there. Mm. What's that flavor I taste? Is that more citrus? Definitely citrusy. Yeah. Got some juicy kind of sweetness to it. Yeah, indeed. Like an orange, sweet orange. They know what they're doing over there at Kitsune. Yeah. Is it Kitsune or Kitsune? I think it's Kitsune. It's Japanese. I mean, oh. I don't know. We take a stab at it, but... Probably yeah. get it wrong. Uh, a like it's E pronounced like the like the capital A or not the capital, but the long A here. Mm-hmm. That's like an Italian. That's like we're gonna angle anglicize it, <laughs> like I do, I do my like, own name. Yeah, <laughs> spring showers, Barone. <laughs> right? Because you sound you sound kind of pretentious if you say it the way it's supposed to be said. Yeah. <laughs> DDH NEIPA, Double Dry Hop Northeast IPA, one pint, 7.6% alcohol by volume. Drink fresh in a wide mouth glass and store cold. Will do. At Kitsune Brewing Co. on Instagram. K-I-T-S-U-N-E. Spell brewing in case you don't know how to spell that. B-R-E-W-I-N-G-C-O. I wonder if uh, they've had any inquiries. And, it's quite you know, possible. We'd like to hear from them if they uh, did. That would that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. We've been uh, happy with all the beers that that we've had from them so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got the beer. What comes next? Tool of the you week. Know, you know that. So I have the pleasure this week and. Uh, we're having a broad in the horizons. Yeah, this this is a good one. So here we got the Makita 18 volt brushless router. Yeah. Yeah. Um shop favorite. Yeah, so I've had this for about a year now. And um oh, I got this locked. Yeah, it's locked. Um been been nothing but happy with it. So this has a plunge base on it now. It comes with a fixed base, and you can buy this plunge base. Um, I've been nothing but happy with it. Got the bits and bits, uh, quarter-inch compression flush trim on there right now, which is basically what stays in this. Um, so this is... We use it for all different stuff in the shop, mostly flush trimming. Um, I'll put a quarter-inch spiral bit in there for doing, you know, hogging out, for hinges, stuff like that. 
It's just convenient because there's no cords. And uh, when you have the vacuum, people always say, well, you have the vacuum. What's the cord? Well, it's, it's just another thing to get hung up on something. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have Festool stuff we have that we hook the vacuum up to, Makita stuff. So, like, we can't just leave the plug-it cord on there. It doesn't work with – we have one Festool router. But, you know, it's it's nice to have no cord. Um, cool thing about this – let me see. I'll turn it on. Hopefully it's not too loud. That's what I was going to say. It's got a break, so it stops in like about, yeah. I don't know, three seconds, five seconds. And it's really quiet for a router. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weighted nice. A lot, of, a lot of battery routers, I feel like, are super top-heavy. This is definitely top-heavy with a 5-amp battery, which is what I keep on it. Um, but still feels stable, not tippy. Yeah. You know, has good dust collection, better dust collection with the fixed base because it's basically fully enclosed. Uh, with this, it has this sort of little chute similar to the Festool. So this comes down, tapers down into like a ring that goes around the bit. Um, and it gives it gives good dust collection. Yeah. It has a, like a chip deflector here on this side. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been nothing but happy. They're pretty cheap. I think about $129 for the bare tool. Yeah. You know... The first time I used it, I remember thinking, wow, that not having a cord <laughs> makes such a difference. I yeah. mean, you really... Especially you if you're really, not using dust collection. It's a huge, huge yeah. difference. Yeah, if we're just doing some little stuff, we don't really have it hooked up to the vac. But um, it's an amazing little tool. I mean, you don't feel any weakness in the mode or anything like that. It does. No, it's it's strong. Everything that a router that size is supposed to do. Yeah, brushless stuff is is pretty pretty hardy. It's funny you can see, since we have these lights, we have these professional lights focused right on us. The uh, the poor little router there is not getting any love. Yeah, it's kind of in a shadow. You get the you get the picture. We'll have a link in, down in the description as always, um, so you can see what we're talking about if you're if you're not watching. Yeah, I'm guessing that most people are just listening anyway. Yeah, yep. Um, we're getting pretty close to our 4,000 hour mark on YouTube, which yeah. will, uh, you know, allow us to monetize the YouTube videos, which don't sound alarmed because YouTube is already putting ads on our shit. They're just not paying us for it, <laughs> which is crazy. I, yeah, that's something... Who, who told us about that? That well, we, I I looked it up because I went to watch one of our videos for something. I had wanted to look look back at something, and then there's an ad on it. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, we're not the the channel's not monetized. So when I look it up, you know, YouTube back in 2018 or 2019 or something passed a new terms of service that said you know YouTube has the right to monetize any video that they that's want. Right. So they could deny you monetization because you know, let's say we were talking about some crazy conspiracy theories or something on here. Mm -hmm. They could say we're not monetizing you guys because you know you're spreading false information or something like that. And then they could go and put an ad on it and make money if it was a popular video. Yeah. So some yeah. of our videos right now have ads on them but the money goes to YouTube and not us. Right. Right. We have to reach these benchmarks. Right, which one is 4,000 watch hours. So if you guys want to help us out, help out the channel, the the podcast. Watch it. Yeah, watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, because that will help us reach that that 4,000-hour goal. Um, 
And we'll see. You know, we're not we're not going to get rich. We're not going to be able to retire or even uh, break or even. break even probably, <laughs> but right. or even make a day's pay. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> so so forget about that notion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it's just a nice goal to finally hit. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one day we might be able to pay ourselves like what we don't get for producing in the oh, shop. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's our first goal, really. Yeah, I mean, we've said it a thousand times, and I don't say it to make anybody. No, we're not looking for anybody's pity, but you know, this is a half a day. That's a full man day every week. That you know, yeah, where we're not producing any um, work, right? Any work yeah. that we can bring an in no income in from. So, um, you're taking food out of my child's mouth. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, we're pulling it out and giving it, and throwing it. Um. So yeah, check out the YouTube channel. Yeah, get to look at our our silly mugs. Yeah, we're not putting out much more content other than the the um podcast because you know again we just don't have the time to really. No, we're looking for a volunteer videographer. If anyone's interested, yeah, <laughs> just come to the shop, hang out, take some videos of us, and then give us those videos. And you won't get paid, but build. Uh, you'll at what, least get to hang out with us. Yeah. What What do you call it? What do you call an artist portfolio? Portfolio. Yeah. And it's you know, that's like a, it's like a student thing. It's like being an intern. You know, nobody that's really any you know, good professional or qualified. That's not really a gig for them. But if somebody's a student, it's like you know we have kids that would come by and clean the shop, and we pay them because that's. You know, That's the least we could do. There's no, there's no future in pushing a broom. If you want to be an indentured servant <laughs> to the shop and take video, let us know. Yeah. But no weirdos. No. Good music. Snacks sometimes. Occasionally. Yeah. We could pay in snacks. Yeah. But not money. Not yet. That's in short supply. Maybe one day. Yeah. Anyway, before we start to sound like crazy people, let's get into these questions. All right. So this one came in from uh, Eric, and it came in last last Wednesday. Um, so we're we're recording the podcast now on Tuesdays and still releasing same time. I was trying to shoot like B roll of the tool and stuff, but then I don't know. I shot in landscape on my phone. Then it was important. Uh, so I don't know what the hell. Unless we have another camera, we're not doing that. Um, but yeah, it just, it takes the pressure off of me to try and like crank this thing out, um, between four thirty yeah. and six o'clock yeah. this way I have, you know, in case I have a problem with uploading it or something like that. It takes a long time for these, the YouTube videos specifically to upload. It takes like an hour, yeah. hour and a half sometimes, sometimes more. Um, so this came in last week. We're just getting, getting to it now because we, we shot last Tuesday. Um, Hey guys, been feeling really discouraged with my woodworking. I've been woodworking for about two years and this shelf build I'm doing is kicking my butt. After three attempts, it's still coming out wrong. It's making me question my skills. I'm just a hobbyist, but I have dreams of doing this for a living. How did you guys keep yourselves motivated to keep at it? I currently have no one to work with and everything I know I learned from books and YouTube, etc. You guys have any motivational words? That's from Eric M. Wow. Well, to start, I would say don't give up, for one. And two, 
you're in the same boat we were all in at one point, unless you were fortunate enough to have some sort of mentor. Yeah, and, you know, we're in this boat all the time as it is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're still in that same boat. I mean, we might be riding, you know, on a higher deck after all these years. Yeah. But we're still in that boat making mistakes, doing stupid things. Um, Chasing our tail. Right. I mean, I mean, we just went through it with those chase lounges. Yeah. Um, so if you can find a little solace in the fact that it's never going to stop, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that um, will help you because it's not, you're not alone, first of all, because everybody is going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not, then, you know, we talked about this before where like if you're not pushing yourself, you're kind of just stuck in like a rut. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some guys, some guys want to do that. Some guys want to just build boxes and, and do things that they can do fast and easy and everything is just easy and it flies out the door. But um, that's not what we, we want to do. No. You know, we want to do things that are unique and new to us and learn how to do different things. So what comes along with that is being in this position where you're screwing up and you're not yeah. getting it right and yeah. you're having to figure it out and there's pressure because there's a timeline and a budget and... um you know, you only got paid X amount and you have to pay yourself. So um, you have to get it done in a certain amount of time. Yeah. And if you're using things like Instagram or um, the DIY TV shows as some sort of, um, you know, bar to measure yourself against, that stuff's more or less an illusion. Yeah. Um, even somebody as skilled as um, like Norm Abrams, he when he did the new Yankee workshop, he made three pieces by that time. So mm-hmm. he made one to figure it out. He made another one, and then they made uh, the you know the show piece. So and this guy he knows everything basically. Yeah. Um. So three times is is really not that much. Um, not having somebody hands on that you could ask questions. I mean, that certainly speeds up the learning process, but that's what networking's for, right? Yeah. I mean, we reach out to guys when we don't know things. All week, yeah, I've been reaching out about finish and about the weather stripping on the door, and um, that's the real power of social media. It's not putting putting your pictures out there to get likes. It's about who you can meet and, and share ideas with and ask questions, bounce, you know, bounce ideas off of. Right. So uh, it's so easy with your phone. You could walk around and talk and uh, shoot with your phone and say, this is the spot right here that I just can't figure out. Yeah. Send it off to people like us. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can have an answer. Maybe we don't. Then maybe we can reach out to somebody. Yeah. So you start that ball rolling. And I've done that before. I think maybe somebody down here that asked a question this week, they reached out to me about, you know, a, an ePay deck that their friend had, and mm-hmm. I didn't know the answer. So I reached out to people that I knew, and then, right. then I got the answer from them, and I relayed it back to... Yeah. So, Eric, I mean, of course... Reach out to us if there's anything that we can help with, and if even if we can't, we, you know we may be able to find the person that can. Um, I'll add one more thing: when we were working over at, uh, in Long Branch, now I'd probably been working on my own for about 15 years, had my own business, 
was successful. When I left my business because of injury, I had a waiting list that was over a year and a half long. I stopped taking jobs for a year and a half by the time I left it. Mm -hmm. So although I'm self-taught and I don't know nearly everything at all, I would never even broach that subject. I do a few things well. Working in that place made me question whether or not I I knew what I was doing yeah. and whether or not I could still be a woodworker mm-hmm. because every time I turned around, something wasn't working. Yeah. And there were things that I'd done a hundred or a thousand times before, and now all of a sudden I couldn't do them. And it really made me question whether or not I could do this. Yeah. So I can empathize. Yeah, you know, it could be the... the set of circumstances and the setting and, you know, all those things contribute to your ability to do anything. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, think about those as well, Eric. Right. And then once I got back into the comfy confines <laughs> on Wilson Avenue, <laughs> my skills magically returned. Why is the yawning? <laughs> the yawning starts about, <laughs> we're 20 minutes in, I start yawning. It's these What's comfy chairs. It's the chair and the beer, <laughs> these gotta, lights. We got to go back to the hard chairs. I'm going to sit on the floor. <laughs> I won't be able to work on Wednesday. I was but. looking for a way to rec- earlier before we got the camera rolling. I was looking for a way to squeeze my my legs up in front of the table because, you know, these chairs recline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would sit like this, but then the whole foreground of the shot is just the bottom of my shoes. Yeah, it's the camera angle. is It's not that flattering. To Here's my door. problem is I wear a backwards hat and it hits yeah. the back of the chair. Oh, yeah, there you go. I'm gonna, I need like a koofy. Uh, yeah, I got one of those. <laughs> I know, I got it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd wear it, but, you know, somebody would think I was trying to... Create some sort of cultural appropriation. Well, that's part of your culture anyway. That is part of my culture. Um, Motivational words. Do we have anything that's concise? Keep at it. Yeah. Nike, just do it. Yeah. Don't be be afraid of the mistakes. You know, it's all those uh, corny and sort of Eastern philosophical statements about falling it's not about the falling i know somebody that's got yeah. some of those yeah um so as silly and corny as it is and we don't really believe in these sayings much but you know you can just get up just get up dust yeah. yourself off and uh go to it mm-hmm. take a little break if you need to oh yeah clear your head and just get back that's, at it there were days where i would make like the same mistake two or three times it didn't matter what time it was. Like, take the take the tools off, put it down, go in the house, you know, do whatever you have to do to get away from it. Yeah, do the easy stuff that you know that uh, that you won't have a problem with first. Yeah. All right, you want to read this next one? Sure. Let me get let me get this in front we of. We kind of had we had a similar question to this before. Ah, all right. It's from Brown's Custom Craft on Instagram. It's Luke, and he asks us. You can pick one woodwork one woodworker to hang out with for the weekend to learn new skills. Who and why? Mm. He d- he doesn't specify live or dead. Yeah, I think yeah, we, we should, we'll be all encompassing. All right. I mean, I knew this guy and he had this real passion for for woodworking. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was his passion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
he, but he could, said learn, so yeah. I, I he could tape two pieces of melamine together like nobody's business. That's a tough one. I'm wondering if you're going to pick the same that you picked last time. Yeah, well, that's not a, that's not a woodworker though. Because we oh, talked yeah, that's about right. um, yeah, I I wasn't going to pick the same one then. Was that maybe design? Designers or something? I forget. We had a similar question, but yeah. you picked F Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. I picked George Nakashima. Yeah. Um, I, I think I might go with Nakashima again. Yeah. He just seems like a very intriguing guy. You know, he lived in the Pacific Northwest and in New Hope and in Japan and India, and he lived in a lot of different places, and he ha has a very... Um, just a very interesting point of view and and philosophy about the whole thing. So I think I think I'd probably hang out with him. Yeah. Um. Now, I would probably pick Norm Abrams. Mm -hmm. Um. I did have a chance to meet Norm, and I I mean really hang out with him for a bit, but not under woodworking woodworking circumstances. Yeah. So that's what I would look forward to. A uh, long time ago, um, I was doing this volunteer job for the Sierra Club, and Norm and the producer of the show came out to film, and they were out there camping with us for about three days. So we got to hang out um, at the campfire and things like that, and Norm was nicer than you could imagine and more skilled Mm -hmm. um, then he even looks on TV and that's why I would really just look forward to spending a weekend with him or imagining all I could pick up. Yeah. It's funny. Like, um, I guess with the, the advent of social media and stuff and, and the world getting so much smaller, like, I don't know, Norm just seems so pedestrian. To I me know now. he does. It's just like regular, like, oh yeah, it's just some guy in his garage could make these. The same. But you know what? In person, like, yeah. cause we were there doing this, um, we were restoring this log cabin. What was the name of it? It was a guy. He was from yeah. New Jersey. A.A. A. Anderson yeah, Lodge. Yeah. I remember cause we, we read about a bunch about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. He was a friend of Teddy Roosevelt's and apparently to get away from his wife, we should talk. This is what we should talk about on the Patreon. Is okay. the whole the whole give it? You can give a rundown, yeah. but we should talk about that whole thing because I don't think we've covered that yet. Yeah. So, um, it was a historic cabin. It was like a national landmark. Yeah. And with the Sierra Club, I volunteered, and it's up at about eight nine thousand foot elevation in Wyoming. So it's all this protected land, and you had to work with only hand tools. Mm -hmm. So the Forest Service would pick out trees. They'd fell the trees. And so Norm comes out, and we're not using power tools or anything like that. And uh, the people who are the experts show Norm, like, in three or four minutes how to do something. And he picks up this tool like it's an extension of his body. Now, is this new Yankee workshop, or was it this old house? I think it was this old house where they did like a, a little breakaway. Thing. Yes, yeah. it was a breakaway. I tried to find it. If any of you out there can find it, please send it to us. If you even if you could just find the the episode, the season and the episode, uh, I want to try and find it. Yeah, the the year would have been around between ninety one and ninety three. I'm I can't remember exactly when it was because I I looked and I looked for a while. I couldn't yeah. find. I couldn't. 
I th- I think I found like uh, something talking about it, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find that episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Norm does seem like rather old hat nowadays. Mm-hmm. But he probably has every trick in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and just like super well-rounded. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and the other thing, other reason I pick him is because of his personality. Mm-hmm. I think I could really get a lot from him. Yeah, this conversation could devolve. I'm just thinking of all kinds of snarky things to say. Yeah. But not about Norm, of course. Yeah. But Like, I mean, I'd be super interested in Krenov. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know anything about him and... So maybe on a, on a, like a, in a perfect setting, mm-hmm. I might pick him because yeah. he's got that really interesting flair and a whole different way of approaching things. He's more to me like Nakashima where they're originals in thought yeah. first. And yeah. And the like, process has come. I really like the first Krenov book and I actually stopped reading when I got halfway through <laughs> The second Kronov book, because it just became too much. It be, yeah. It's like when you go to a bar and you end up talking to this drunk guy and he just goes on and on and on about some sort of existential bullshit. That's what the second book was like. It's like, all right, listen, I get it. I feel the same way about woodwork and the passion. and the, But like, all right, let's move on to like the, yeah. the real world application of these things. Exactly. Because this is also a business, so I need to you know, apply these things to make money. Right. That's the other thing in Norm's corner. I mean, this is his foundation is as a carpenter and as a, as a businessman. And although the shows have completely gone away from it in the last few decades, it used to be about, you know, finances of the the regular person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now it's, you know, banker wants an old house. Yeah. It's budgets. No limit. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nakashima and Abrams. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, Got one here from a patron, Adam, built by AT on Instagram. Have you ever tried to price something out as a go-away price? We call that an F-U price. But then they said yes, just happened to me. Next time it will be a flat-out no. I, I, uh, I priced it high due to the distance. Um... I've definitely given very high prices on certain jobs. Uh, I don't know if I call it an FU price, more of like that inconvenience price where yeah. it's like, you know, this job's just going to kind of be a pain in the dick. Um, that rollout job I did right before we kind of started Green yeah, Street yeah. was one. I I forget what I got for that. That was very lucrative. Yeah. Um, I went over there. Me and Manny were there for like, three hours or something on a Saturday, knocked it out and, you know, walked away with, I think I paid Manny like 500 bucks. I walked away with like a thousand bucks in three hours. Um, I mean, it was, it was easy. So, and that's a small, you know, that's a small job, but uh, I don't really have anything that sticks out in my mind as like a real F you. And then they, they went for it. Yeah. Um, with me, it was, it was one of the jobs nearing the end of my time mm-hmm. as a solo worker. And they kept coming back to me with, like, the job was, okay, we're going to hire you. 
come over. We're going to give you a check. All right, I'll come by on Tuesday. I'll nail down all the measurements. But between that time and that Tuesday, there were emails like of change this mm-hmm. and that. And I just got, you know. Agitated. <laughs> well, you know, so they started adding things. And each time they would add something, there was this feeling of like, it wasn't like a pleasant thing. You know how some people are. Like they're trying to take advantage. Yeah. So I started adding cost to the job, yeah. which I we usually don't really do that excessively. And, you know, we're pretty fair about that. Yeah. Yeah. Even unfair to ourselves, right. I'd say, to a point. Um, until finally, um, I had to... You know, that day had come and I had to make the decision and I did just say, no, Mm -hmm. I just can't do it. And I told them it was because, you know, my schedule wouldn't allow it, but they were, they were annoyed. They, I uh, I think I've heard about these people. Yeah. They stalked me for a little while. (laughs) You know, all it did was confirm that my gut feelings were right. Um, Yes, that's the fu price in this neck of the woods. What do you mean you won't work for me? Yeah, um, what, my money's no good. Uh, you know, yeah. Sometimes it's just not worth it, is it? Yeah, people are. Some people are whacked. Yeah. Um. Yeah, our our normal price is a go away price for most people. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we give them the price and then they go away. Yeah, I know. Not on purpose. <laughs> You want me to read this? Yeah, it's a good one. All right, yeah. Like a mechanic whose car is always broken, do you have time to put into your own homes? Brian, Gray Point Woodworks on Instagram. That's so appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we have no choice but to put time into our own homes because, yeah. you know, we both live in, in older homes. Your, your house is probably 50 years, well, maybe a little bit less. We'll say yeah. worst case scenario. We're maximum amount, 50 years older than my house. My house yeah. is from 1923, and yours is from, you know, maybe 1880, 1890. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the Northeast, these things, they're just constantly in need of repair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we don't really have a choice but to, and granted, I've only lived here for a couple of months, but um, we have no choice but to put time into our homes. We definitely can't put the time <laughs> we put into jobs no. into our homes because... Um, you know, what we do takes so much time that yeah. it would be a whole nother full-time job to, yeah. to build things like we build for clients for ourselves. Right. Cause we're talking about your kitchen coming up and we're yeah. planning how we're going to do it and, you know, how to, you know, squeak it in there and hopefully we're not that busy and we can bust out some things in spurts. Yeah. I've been even thinking about doing uh, a frameless kitchen as, as blasphemous as that sounds. Yeah, but just to save some time. You know, we'll get it done. We'll, you know, you're you're young and you're a worker, so you'll be hitting all those weekends and nights and everything. And yeah, and I'll be pushing as hard as I can because <laughs> that's the way it is. That's what you do. Yeah, because um, it's it's a it's a one time thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not forever. Um, yeah, I think also you might think think we have houses filled with nice furniture. <laughs> No, it's so far from the truth. Yeah, you know what my house is filled with. When I started out, like really started out, 
I had to learn everything. And most of the things in my house are the mistakes that I made, like trying to figure something out. Yep. Um, so it's like, man, I got to figure out how to make dovetail drawers. So let me do this. Or, I mean, how, how does a breadboard end work? You know, what are the proportions? What's going to last? Mm-hmm. And it's really been instructive because I have some pieces that are like 20 years old. And there are some failure points you can go back to and reference. And then there's some other points where it's like, wow, I did this 18 years ago and didn't touch it. And it's still standing. Yep. So that part works. Um, but that's what I have, like the House of Misfit toys. Yeah. And, you know, we do make things for for our house, but they're like real abbreviated <laughs> versions <laughs> of stuff. We, you made a little thing to slip off of the end yeah. of your couch. Even like these tables in here. Yeah. Like we wouldn't make these for a client. It's no, just not no, our these style. Are, these or, are bogus. It's just like a glue up with some ch- big chamfers and hairpin legs. Like yeah. that's not our thing. Um, no. And I wouldn't feel comfortable really selling that as like a Green Street piece of furniture, but. Yeah. You know, we needed a table, so that's quick and easy. That's what we did. Yeah, we have a bunch of cherry. Cherry's really inexpensive. Took a wide board. One, it's just, you know, it's two pieces glued yep. together. Uh, and these two little, <laughs> the dimensions of these three tables were what we got out of those boards. Right. They were, uh, excuse me, man, with the yawning. They were um, boards that, we were planing with the Oliver and we were trying to figure mm-hmm. out what the hell was wrong with it. Right. Right. So they were just, it was leaning up against the wall in the shop. Tommy G. Yeah. That's the guy who's doing the glass on the, uh, Dutch door. Yeah. Let me just shoot him a text. And just yeah. So, um, what do I have in my house? I, I mean, the kitchen was the first thing I did. Uh, that was those were like really the first uh, professional style cabinets I tried to make, and I did a little bit at a time. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Like if I built them today, I'd do it. I wouldn't say completely differently, but about I could see good 80, 90 percent would be different. Um, what else? I I have uh, I have one kind of wonky chest of drawers that I made, and I have one that's actually much better. Well, I have two little ones. One I built when uh, there was a gallery. There was like a furniture gallery, and I was going to build a piece. I arranged to build this little bedside table, and I would bring it there. Mm-hmm. And by the time I finished it, they were out of business. Oh, my God. <laughs> Didn't your wife just ask you to build her a dresser? Yeah. That's, yeah. She must think we're doing real good. Yeah. My wife, my wife said to me, yeah, you think, you know, the drawer, she, my, we have in our bedroom, we have these two, we have the one like uh, eight drawer dresser, like in the stickly style that I built, like from like a popular mechanics kind of plan thing mm-hmm. where I kind of learned some skills. And then we have these two all dressers that are like out of, you know, any apartment in the 1970s that my wife brought with her when we got married. And, I mean, these are hideously ugly and notoriously, you know, crappy. This is what it is. So she goes to me, <laughs> you think you could, uh, the drawer's sticking. You think you can make me a dresser? 
I'm just carved two weeks out of my schedule. I said no. <laughs> You're going to have to, if you need a new dress, I mean, Ikea is the place. Yeah. There's a target up the road. <laughs> this is, yeah, so we are a bit like the shoemakers, kids with, you know, running with the holes in their shoes yeah. and bare feet. Um, so it's a mixture. Mm-hmm. We certainly don't have all the stuff that we, you know, make for clients. No, we, no, no. There's just, there's not enough time in the day. Mm-mm. Um, so uh, it's like when we see these guys, you know, again, going back to, um, uh, Eric's question, you see all this stuff going on on YouTube and Instagram and on TV. That's all an illusion, all, all of these things. Like people who do things like we do for a living, they can't possibly have this stuff in their house that they made. No, no, not if they're doing it, you know, right. the way we do. If they're making a living from it, there's no time for that. Maybe if you own Thomas Moser, you're, you're Thomas Moser. Right. And- if you have a factory of people making things, then right. maybe. But no, if you're an owner operator, right? If you're getting um, dirty, um, the odds are you know slim to none that you're able to afford your own work. Right, right, right. Unless you're building shit, and then you know, then, who wants uh, then it? anybody can afford yeah. that. That's a good point. I mean, there are people with you know do like factory style stuff. Yeah, you know that the the semi custom. Mm-hmm. You know, those it's guys. It's a base 18, but it's got a 20-inch <laughs> face frame on it. <laughs> Nothing a two-inch filler can't yeah. solve. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next question. Yeah, yeah, we got one here from our buddy Matt. He's a, another one of our patrons. Yeah. Viz on Instagram. I know a guy. Um, how are you going to cut the profile off on the Dutch door styles? Yeah, we so, talked about that yes, yesterday or the day before. Uh oh, to Matt. No, between you and I, we were oh, talking yeah, discussed yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So we're building this Dutch door. The bottom has a solid wood panel. The top is getting stained glass that's original to the house. So what we have to do is, um, so this is it's an exterior Dutch door. It's made with a a a you know a door cutter. So the the molding is built into the yeah. It's integral. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm having a hard time articulating this. So the sticking of the door is, you know, has a profile to it. So one side we need to remove so that the glass can go in. The glass guy will come, the stained glass guy, Tommy, who just called me, can put it in. Then we'll have to make molding that he can put on top and mm-hmm. pin on. Um, so Matt's asking how are we going to take it off of the one side? So we'll we'll glue the door up. My, my thought, and I think this is probably the easiest way, is to cut the bulk of it out with the track saw you know, lay the track a, a 16th or an eighth inch away from uh, the the edge of the door, cut it off, and then use a little Makita there to yeah. flush trim it. Yeah, because we can make a shallow cut, a measured cut that yep. doesn't go through the, the face of the sticking. You know, we just right, want to remove yeah. the interior portion. Yeah, I, I think that's a plan. Mm, that's about it. It should be, it should be pretty easy. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I mean, you could use a big router, a big, we have that seven eighths inch spiral bit. Yeah. You could probably get in there and that's, and you know why that scares that whole, me? That white oak, you know, yeah, like splinter and one, one yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah. And yep. All our work is, uh, uh-huh. it may even be worth using that bit and leaving a 16th and using mm-hmm. that bit. Um, just because that mass is, you know, it's good. 
that thing. I mean, it, it cuts nice, but big bit, bigger bit, always better. Bigger's better in that instance. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, maybe, maybe Matt had some ideas of his own. Yeah. I mean, we're open to anybody's uh, thoughts yeah. because yeah, we're just flying by the seat of our pants here. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. What does this sound like? Uh, you or me? Do you overthink things when building? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? That's just De Palma. Justin oh. De Palma oh, on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, Justin De Palma. That's a typo. Oh, that's a typo. So it is yeah. Justin De Palma. Yep. Okay. I thought he was just, you know, sort of being the, you know, how everybody has like a clever <laughs> kind of. That's true. Justin's the only Jersey guy. Oh, cool. Um, I mean, I we definitely both overthink things, I'd say. <laughs> I think I'm way more, I probably way more overthink things. Um, <laughs> you got more energy than me still. <laughs> yeah. Is it a good thing? Is it a, I mean, I think it's a good thing yeah. myself, but can it be bad? Of course. Yeah. You know why I think it's a, a good thing? Because it never paralyzes us. You know, we, we don't get paralyzed by um, the thinking too much. We just say, what could go wrong if we do it this way? What could go right? What tools do we have? What are our options? We do a lot of test cuts and mm-hmm. samples and all that stuff. So I think that's part of the, what you might call overthinking. But I like to think of it more as, you know, better safe than sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, I hate like doing rework and backtracking mm-hmm. and getting to a point saying, oh, fuck, we should have done this because or or this happened, but it, we could have prevented it if we did mm-hmm. this. I'd rather just think of it all beforehand and try and and head everything off at the past. Yeah. Then get to the point of having to backtrack or or compromise for something that's not as good as it could be because, you know, we did something that that we we didn't do something that we could have done before. Right. Um, and I think that because we do so many new things almost every job, it, it requires all of this thought. Yeah. Because... And it, even then, it's usually not enough. <laughs> that's right. There are still mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, to our credit, we do learn from our mistakes. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's a positive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we we do do quite a bit of thinking. We hardly ever rush headlong into anything. Um, and uh, there you have it. So, yeah, we're a couple of overthinkers, and we, we think it's good because we can we function productively with the overthinking. We're yeah, not- yeah. And any time spent, you know, Thinking and confirming if your idea is going to work and stuff like that, it it ends up saving you time in the it does back end. It does. Um, so I I think uh, maybe what some people might think is a bad thing is this this fallacy of lost time. And I I say fallacy because like what you said, it in the in the scheme of things, it it probably at the very minimum, breaks even. Yeah, and, you know, are there times where we over-engineer or overthink and do more? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. But, I mean, who really... So what, we made a yeah. little bit less money? Yeah, yeah. 
Big fucking deal. The other thing is you can't divide the day. We don't divide the day up into a quarter day. It's a day. Yeah. And if we're working on a job because we work on the one job at a time, Tuesday was already spent on that job. Yeah. So if we spend six hours or eight hours, it's still the same thing. Or, you know, we had 14 days or we had uh, 20 man days and it takes 22 man days. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's not the end of the world. No. All right. I uh, got one here from uh, Jaffet, one of our patrons, Jaffet Hernandez on Instagram. What's the last thing you learned from Rob and vice versa? Well, I'll I'll answer first since uh, you. this is the way we usually do it. This door job I learned quite a bit. Um, and that's what's wonderful about working with Jeff in particular and with somebody that you respect that has a different skill set in general. Um, if you're you know, receptive, you have to be receptive first. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you don't learn anything. Uh, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you find a new room, <laughs> you know, we, we all have been there, right? We know people like that. Um, but you've done a lot of door work. Uh, yeah. you've installed a lot of doors. You've been on a job with this kind Dozens of thing of doors, yeah. all the time. So, I've been deferring to you on all of these things and even asking maybe some silly questions, trying to build up my information base. And because I could have built the door without any of this information, but it would have taken me longer. I might not have done it the right way, the correct way, the standardized way. So to me, it, it's, it's a win-win to have somebody that could lead the job. That's yeah, I, I know this. I'm going to show you. Yeah, and even I'm reaching out to other people and <laughs> confirming things. This I'm getting secondhand door stuff. Yeah, it goes back me. to the overthinking because, <laughs> you know, you start to question everything that you've done before. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything specific right now off the top of my head as the what, what was the last thing. But, I mean, it's constant because, I mean, you've done this for four times as long as I have. So there's yeah. you've done... That, you know, thousands upon thousands of hours more woodworking than I've done. And even like some things that are super simple, like I just haven't done before. Um, you know, I'm always running into things that, that are even pretty basic in terms of woodworking that I haven't done before. So, um, you know, I'm constantly, you know, finding things out from you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, sometimes I take for granted because you're so good that you know all this stuff already. Sometimes you'll say, how would you do this? I, I, it almost catches me off guard. I keep. <laughs> <laughs> I pick things up quick, but you do I just some things I just haven't done. <laughs> yeah, you really, really fast student and super inquisitive. You know, like you spend a lot of time out of the shop learning new skills, so you're always bringing new skills into the workplace. Yeah, it's always been that fear of uh, being found out that mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's too late for that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, so, meaning that you know what you're doing. Well, yeah. Yeah. Until I don't. Right. But you got to, you know, we have a solid base, so there's no shame in not knowing something now. Yeah. And yeah. and there shouldn't be anyway. Yeah. Um, unless you're trying to pretend. Right. You that's, know, I'm not pretending like I know everything. That's the smartest guy in the room thing again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but... Um, you know, I've always just 
wanted to do a good job. So it's like, I want to know as much as I can and, and figure out how to, I got mm-hmm. thrown into doing like high end custom, uh, finish work. I had never done that before. I never <laughs> even picked up. I wasn't like, didn't fix stuff as a kid or I never had shop class. Um, I picked up part-time work and then ended up getting hired by a custom builder and, I just got thrown to the wolves, you know. Right. Was your first thing with sheetrock fixing stuff? That after was Sandy? my first, yeah. So after Sandy, um, I got a job with a guy, and we were just doing, yeah, like cutting sheetrock at two feet and patching it in, and maybe a, a piece of casing or two, and uh, insulation, a little bit of framing, just general, more like I wouldn't say handyman stuff. It was bigger than that. It was you know light construction. Um, then. You know, that work kind of dried up. This guy, this is a long story with this guy. I won't even get into it, but um, work kind of dried up with him. And then I got a job with this builder who I worked for up until I went and left to go to Tom's. Um, And yeah, like I got thrown to the wolves, not in a negative way, but it's like I had never done finished work before. The guy I worked with, you know, Felix, this Dominican guy, barely spoke any English and was kind of (laughs) just, he was working too. So he didn't have time to teach me. So they would just give me something to do. And I was like, what the hell? I'm like, I got to figure out how to do this because I don't want to be, I don't want to A, mess up and B, like to do a bad job or or for them to be, anybody to be like, what the fuck is that? So I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I've been running scared for, you know. Eight years now, just <laughs> like, oh, man, I better get better. That way nobody says, what the hell did you do that for? But there's comfort, at least, in being your own boss and having your yeah, name on yeah. the door and all that stuff. No, I mean, it never bothered me. I uh, yeah. I mean, I like the challenge of of having to figure out how to do something. I like the yeah. problem solving. Yeah. Um, we have It's a- fulfilling when you figure it out and then you do it and it said, wow, it worked. That, yeah. That's, that's, that feels good. We have a pretty supportive environment too, where we're we're okay to try something and fail, yeah. and then you know approach again like that. That bed, we we tried and failed a couple of times, and even after we built the chairs, we still kept trying other stuff. Yeah, like yeah. for a couple of weeks after those chairs were built, we were still and at it. They were gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of obsessiveness we we could have sometimes, or I'll say tenacious yeah. kind of you know wanting to learn and mm-hmm. dis- explore. Um, we had some of those pieces of oak left over, and we were just like, "Come on, let's see what will happen if we do this." Yeah, we're like, "We'll put these in a form and see <laughs> if this, you know, we get them tight." But we learned something every step of the way with yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yep, that's cool. All right, so what's your method for cleaning glue squeeze out on the inside of corners? That's from Vince. Rob Vincep on Instagram. I'm thinking now it's probably Rob Vince P. Rob Vince P. Is this more a typo on your part? No. <laughs> no, well, originally I thought his name was Rob, but then I found out his name is Vince. Oh. So Rob Vince P. We can we can maybe hear from Vince. He can correct us on yeah. this. Vince, I invited you to Clubhouse, and uh, I haven't seen you on there. Yeah. Just saying. So I, I think I know the answer to this, but how do you get squeeze out of that inside corners? Um, 
I mean, I'm kind of like a chisel or a knife guy. Yeah, sharp knife. That's my deal. Depending on the wood. Yeah. Like if it's uh, white oak and it's cross grain, mm -hmm. the knife doesn't really work that well. Is it? So then I use a chisel and come in parallel with the grain. Um, but if it's like, you know, cherry or something like that, let it gel up a little bit and just get in there yeah. at the corner of the knife. I have trouble with the patience aspect of the gelling, but that's my 100% preferred method to mm -hmm. let that glue get to just the right consistency. Yeah, it can't uh, just be skinned over because no. then it get, makes it worse. <laughs> well, I, honestly, the I hardly ever, like, I'll either... Wait long enough. Yeah, I don't It's really got to be like enough. 45 minutes or yeah. an hour. Or I'll forget it. Yeah. And then you're, you know, got another... Mm -hmm. You know, problem. You know, yeah, not insurmountable, but it's it's much harder to chip it out. Card scraper, I like too. Yeah, anything that's got the right shape mm -hmm. that you can clean as you go, like a you know a metal blade of some sort is yeah. always good. I have a scraper that's like just for glue. Yeah, um, just because it gets so kicked up, it's not really usable for. Do you remember my glue scraper? Yeah, yeah, we have a couple of them now. <laughs> We were talking about this. A straw is supposed to work really well. Yeah, yeah. Like we a gotta, drinking straw. We got to check that out. Yeah. We don't do a lot of inside corner glue-ups, like dovetail no. boxes, you know, drawer yeah. boxes. But um, You ever try taping it? Yeah, that's what we did on the door. Yeah. It works. Works well. Just time-consuming. but It is. Um, I tried taping a drawer once. Mm-hmm. It took forever. Yeah. And, you know, it's still, it wasn't perfect. So that I thought, this is just not, not for me. Yeah. Because um, you still had to go back and, you know, touch it up. Mm -hmm. Once you get in there touching it up, it's bottomless pit, isn't it? Next question. What do we got here? This is from John Trinity Tradesman on Instagram. Do you charge for design or just build it into the price of a job if the job is a go? <laughs> Not nearly enough. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's part of the cost of doing business for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we always throw four hours, six hours into it, but um, typically going back and forth with a client is a, it's an ongoing thing. And um, the way I always viewed it was in lieu of an advertising budget or anything like that. This is, this is how we obtain our clients by creating this design because our price is higher just by the nature of what we do. We have to, in, in some way or another, give them something that they just can't go get somewhere else. Right. Um, the value is in our service and our design and then in the quality of the furniture. A lot of people don't, understand the quality of the furniture until they get it in their house. Right. But they understand those other elements of, you know, how we treat them and things like that up front. Yeah. And something we've worked on is like sort of vetting the client so that we don't get yeah. into investing all this design time. Yeah. Um, if we can see that it's not going to pan out. So um, it's almost, if we're, if we're investing real design time, it's almost guaranteed that it's going to be covered in the, because we do put design time onto the uh, mm -hmm. onto the price um, might not be 
a hundred percent of the time, but it's something. Yeah. Um, we'll give the quick and dirty price to the the clients who are kind of in that vetting stage. Yep. Uh, see if they, you know, pass out. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that the prices are so extraordinary. It's just that people come into this with this super low budget in mind. Like mm -hmm. I saw this table at Target for one forty nine, so I must be able to get a custom table for two forty nine. Right, three hundred tops. And we're like, yeah, it's going to be like seventeen thousand dollars, and they're like, what? Uh, yeah, they they don't understand the economics of of things yeah. in our line of work. Um, so we wish we could get full price for everything, but we just can't, you know, we have to, we have to meet the client usually midway, mm -hmm. you know, close as close as we could get to our number, you know, the happier we are. Yeah. Um, do I read this next one? Uh, yeah. All right. When building a solid wood door, what sort of precautions have you taken to ensure that the door stays flat in the future? Is there any place on a door build for plain sawn material? Or should everything be quartered or rift? What type of finish will you be using? That's from one of our patrons, Alec, at Owlhead Wood Co. on Instagram. Um, is there a place for plain sawn? I'd say uh, with plain sawing, you probably want to go to a stave core or a composite core yeah. and just have a veneer on there. You know, quarter and rift sawing wood is very stable. It 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 moves, you know, in a pretty predictable fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it doesn't tend to want to twist and everything as much as, as plain sawing wood. So um, we haven't really... Precautions. We haven't taken any precautions. I would say because it's the normal. We take a lot of those things for all yeah, of our builds. Yeah. Um, you know, we mill things slowly and watch them. And I mean, everything is still dead, dead flat. Mm -hmm. um, it is all quarter sawn. Mm -hmm. We acclimate the wood to the shop yep. before we start milling it. We mill it. We rough mill it. We let it. We sticker it. We check it. Everything's cool. We bring it down to final dimensions, and we cut the joinery. Every and you know, yeah, I will say with doors we are extra precautious to bring the wood in um, early and to mill it slow and really watch it. Cabinet doors, exterior doors, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, those are the things we're most concerned about with movement because um, you know other like casework and stuff with joinery. The movement isn't as much of a concern because it's sort of all locked together. But a door does, you know, a door is very susceptible to twist. Oh, yeah. Um, I have a door in my house upstairs that won't stay together. And it's on my bathroom. So this is a, you know, 120-year-old door. I think it's fur, mm -hmm. which is, as we learned today, one of the most stable woods yeah. as far as movement goes. Um but it split apart. The joint didn't, oh, the joint failed. The top joint failed in the upper right-hand corner. And so I brought a big clamp up there and re-glued it and everything. I was very proud of myself. Then about a month later, <laughs> the style split. <laughs> the, 
the glue joint held. You know that strong modern glue. Yep. And it split this this style. Mm -hmm. So I just gave up, and the door doesn't close all the way. Just now. plane it. <laughs> Get up there with a power planer. <laughs> so those are our precautions and our methods. Um, Finish will be uh, Total Boat Gleam 2.0, which is a tongue oil-based uh, spar varnish. Um, we put the first coat on the panel today because we're going to get a couple coats on that before we put it in the door. Um, and, you know, I put finish on the on the dado in the door. Yeah. So that'll all be finished. Um, Why you, I mean, I know it's going to be repetitive for people listening and know all this stuff, but you for you know we know we have listeners that are kind of hobbyist advancing explain mm -hmm. you know why we want to finish the panels not just in this door but in all doors and things like that first uh well this application specifically is for water we don't want anything unfinished on the door uh even on an interior door you know so this panel is it's 22 inches wide mm -hmm. and it's 27 inches tall well, the height doesn't really matter, but 22 inches wide, we're going to get, you know, probably five sixteenths of an inch of movement in this thing, you know, between the seasons. Yeah. Uh, so let's say we put finish on uh, now and it's humid in the wintertime. The panel's going to shrink. Well, if you didn't finish it beforehand, you're going to all of a sudden reveal <laughs> sections of the right. panel that aren't <laughs> finished. So it's very important when you're building, you know, railing style doors with panels that you finish the panels before you... Yeah. You know, assemble the door, even even plywood. Yeah, um, because your styles can your styles are going to shrink too. Right, right. Granted, very small amount, especially if they're narrow, like most are these days. But um, I've seen those those cheap like MDF panel doors. You see a, a, a yeah a line of brown right on a white door exactly because it is it's the styles that shrink. Mm -hmm. um, the panel is stable, sure, but I mean if you're Really, everything should be finished on a mm -hmm. on a piece of furniture, a piece of cabinetry, even trim. You sh you're not supposed to put raw trim up and then paint the face of it. Right, everything needs to be back primed. Um, so at the very least, if you're painting like a white kitchen, you should prime your panels before you put them in into mm -hmm. the doors. Yeah, and this door being an exterior door, it's going to be a lot colder on the outside in the winter than it yeah. is on the inside. So mm -hmm. it's this it's gonna have like the hardest conditions possible put on it probably. Yeah. Um so we wanna make sure everything has its best chance to survive. Yep. Look at that. We're on page two. Page two. We got another one from a patron here, Colin. <laughs> What's the biggest mistake you've made when you did not measure twice, cut once? Oh, I, I was going to answer that, but then I, I saw it was about cutting. I, I, was, I had a good one for the biggest mistake I'd made. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't think of a specific one, but, I mean, I've had times where it's like the last piece of trim or, and, or pre, you know, pre-finished, whatever, and, and, you know, you mess up. and Nothing sticks out in my mind specifically, but... But there's been, you know, a dozen or so instances. Oh, like that. yeah. When that's the thing. When material is limited or you're on a job site or, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a special molding. 
I remember one job I had, it was this carved molding. I went to Greenpoint, Brooklyn to pick it up, and it was super expensive and hard to get. I was terrified to cut it. Yeah, and everything's got to line up. Yeah, exactly. Acanthus leaves, egg and dog, you know, so you got you to gotta cut uh, in the design so that, like, yep. on all the corners, everything matches up. And, uh, oh, my God, you know, because if you make a mistake, you got to, you can't just trim it a little bit. You got to go to the next series. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, we've all, we've all come up an inch short more times than we could count. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, speaking of that, that first one, the thing that uh, makes me laugh is <laughs> when, when we were doing Mendelssohn's Kitchen <laughs> and Rich was trying to put the island together. <laughs> Thank God I wasn't there that day. I think I was helping Jamie. Yeah. So... So Jeff had, he cut all the, you know, the cabinet parts, you know, the sides and the tops and bottoms and labeled everything. And so Rich was working on his own, trying to put the thing together. And then yeah, I'd hear him. So you're telling me you left him unsupervised. It's your fault. I'd hear him cursing over there. And then. Again, you know, so it was this repetitive thing was going on. And then the next thing you know, he's hauling out another sheet of plywood <laughs> from the shed, <laughs> having to recut all these parts. So <laughs> Jeff Jeff comes in the next day, and all his parts. So I'm piled up next to the door. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, they, they weren't square. Reset. <laughs> so then this is the capper. <laughs> It's hard to explain, uh, you know, on uh, on a radio or whatever, like this audio medium. But, you know, typically you have the sides of the cabinet going all the way. Up. Right. From the top to the bottom and the bottom and the top of the cabinet are captured in between the sides. So <laughs> the last cabinet it was all railroaded all together, yeah, which means one side was as it should as it should be, but then the top was on the top of the other side <laughs> because the side was too short. Oh my god! You know what they say? Can't fix stupid. Uh, no. So that was, and then remember when he was trying to put the styles in place, you know, for the trim mm-hmm. around the backside of the island. He was putting them all in the the wrong space so they wasn't dividing up the space evenly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We took care of that, too. (laughs) Yeah, so we we had to rebuild all those things. (laughs) And it was because I didn't cut them square. Yeah. You see, were we talking about mistakes before? Yeah. Honing up to your mistakes? Apparently that was my fault. It started out as your fault. I compounded it by not keeping an eye on mm-hmm. him. But it goes back to the very first, the original mistake. <laughs> how'd you like to, how'd you like to start a woodworking business? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> 
Um, what finish would you use on a restaurant table? That's another one from Jaffet. He's a patron. Jaffet Hernandez on Instagram. That's a toughie. I mean, I think he's trying to ask what's the most durable finish. Yeah. Um, probably one of those like epoxy type finishes. Mm-hmm. Like those two parters or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they all kind of, they all must be yeah. some sort of, have some sort of activator hardener in there. But, um, I remember finishing a like a commercial bar way back uh, before I was a real woodworker, so to speak, and uh, that's what we used, one of those things. Yeah, real hard, thick mm-hmm. kind of finish. I think even something like the spar varnish that we're using, you know, that's kind of like an outdoor finish, but something like that that has a high build and you put a lot of coats on, Um Something like that. I, I mean, I really would not use a penetrative finish because... No, it's got to sit on top. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of different from what we usually do. And yeah, uh, preferably something with a low sheen because people sliding glasses around and stuff, it's mm-hmm. just going to get ruined. So a low sheen is going to hide a lot of that um, that wear. Yeah, so in that regard, I'm not a big fan of like the really artistic wooden table top for restaurant use because you really have to conceal the wood in a sense. Mm-hmm. And most nice restaurants, you're going to have some kind of covering. Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's almost uh, defeats the purpose. Yeah. I think these more uh, hip kind of restaurants are moving t- more towards a more natural kind of, like less of a tablecloth look. And Yeah. Let that food get in the cracks and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing like a table made out of like rustic like two by eights. Yeah. <laughs> so you make make gaps so you can push the crumbs in the gaps. Yeah, there you yeah. go. They probably don't even use those little scrapers. They just no, it's basically like deck boards that yeah. just fall between. Yeah. Or, you know, like a I guess epoxy tables, that's they found their home. No. Landfill, that's where they'll be, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. With some uh, you know, non-biodegradable epoxy down the middle. Yeah, and all those little doodads that are inside. Coffee beans and yeah. uh, shell shells. casings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clam shells. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Army men. Yeah. All right, last qu- No, next to last. The penultimate question. Uh, go ahead, you read it. After your discussion of acclimating wood last week, what are your suggestions for building in an unconditioned shop? I guess that would just be uh, some general tips on how to build for wood movement. That's from Chris C. That's, uh, uh, sorry, Chris D. C. Dubrisky on Instagram. Yeah, well, I did that for a long time. Mm -hmm. Probably most shops are unconditioned, right? I mean... Uh... Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I took a quick look online to see what kind of charts were available because they have like really scientific down oh, yeah. to the thousandths of an inch charts for like wood movement and species and yep. there's a formula for uh, relative humidity. So fine woodworking has one that's free. And pretty thorough. Um, if you're interested after, you know, hearing this, you could look it up. Um, but 
It has to do with the the difference in uh, the swing of humidity is one of the big factors. Yep. Uh, so if the wood comes into the shop at six percent, and um, you know you got to figure like what's the worst case scenario and percentage in this article and find woodworking, they used about a ten percent swing as their worst case scenario. Yeah, I mean, it even gets more specific than that. Mm -hmm. You can go by your region and find the real numbers. And um, it's no sense in trying to do any of this if you don't have a moisture meter. That's number one. So if you're really interested in getting the specifics, you got to get yourself a a pinless um, because, uh, well, I mean, don't quote me on that. From what I understand, the pinless are much more um, accurate than the pinned because of you know, you're you're reading all the way through the wood rather than, um, or to the center of the wood rather than just where those pins can reach. Yeah, on the surface. Um, so, yeah, like the that book I talked about, I don't know, it was like 10, 15 episodes ago, the, uh, oh, what the, what was that called? So it's a Lost Art Press book. They break it down by region mm-hmm. and state, you know, where you are and what the, the relative humidities are in the spring, the summer, the fall, the winter. And, um, you know, you can't just assume what, what relative humidity your wood's at. Right. You know, we get our wood in at whatever. It's maybe 8% when it comes from the kiln, and then it sits outside, so it's going to reach equilibrium again. It's mm-hmm. back up at 12. Um, but we don't know that. It could be at at 11 or right. 13 or 14 or or 9. We don't know. Um, we we kind of just do it by feel and and by visually, you know, watching what's going on with the wood. But there's definitely a very scientific approach to it. There is. Um, uh, like in the example in Fine Woodworking's article, they were talking about like a 10-inch uh, drawer face and... Uh, they were talking about like five sixteenths of movement. Wow, that seems like a lot. It does because we generally go with like I would a, say like an eighth of an inch, eighth yeah, of an inch, like a strong sixteenth when we're we're doing our drawer faces and doors mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, sometimes an eighth, depending on on uh, where it's headed. Um, and we don't really get any callbacks. No, I mean, we don't have had any. No. Since Green Street started. No, and um, the only time I ever did anything uh, in that regard where I had to go back a couple of times, I already knew I would from the onset. It was it was, it was for Michelle and Carlos. Mm-hmm. It was like about 25 or 26 drawers in a built-in in their bedroom and they were all on wooden slides. No, no, <laughs> no metal slides. Oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> so, you know, I said, I'm going to put it in and I'm going to come back in a week. I'm going to let see what's going on. Cause my shop was totally unconditioned at mm-hmm. the time. So I knew, you know, in their, you know, conditioned home, yep. Things would shrink, so I made everything really tight in the shop, knowing that they would shrink up in their house. And I went back two or three times with my hand plane and touched up the finish. And and after that, it was good. It's was good to this day. Yep. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
it's probably more important in the construction aspect than the fitment mm-hmm. aspect because you can't fix those things after the fact. So no. don't uh, don't jam parts in there in the winter and oh. expect your piece Woo. to not explode in the summertime. Yeah, even things like a glass, you know, you could break the glass panel if, mm-hmm. you, if it fits too tight or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so the tips... Uh, learn what you can about the science of wood movement. Have mm-hmm. a moisture meter. Um, and then the experience of if, if you have things that you've built, uh, monitor them, you know, if you can. Yeah, if if you don't have anything that's uh, conditioned, try and get the wood in and out as quick as you can. Mm-hmm. Like buy it, make the thing, and get it out yeah. to back to a conditioned space because, you know, it takes a, takes a while for right. it to... Yeah, remember, so, most homes are going to be conditioned nowadays. It's going to be pretty dry. Yeah, in yeah. Um, and in the odd circumstance, you know, maybe somebody's putting this on in a three-season room or mm-hmm. something like that. You take that into consideration on the other end. Yep. Things will expand and contract even more so than usual. All right. Um, uh, you want me to read the last question then? Yeah. What is the ratio of time spent designing, redesigning, to actual shop install time? That's John, Trinity Tradesman on Instagram. So is he asking us how accurate our estimate is? Um, No, I think he means, like, how much time are we spending designing and how much time we spend oh. building. Oh, yeah. It's got to be, like... <laughs> A hundred to one? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe two hundred to one? <laughs> yeah. We I mean we're pretty good at designing things quickly too. Yeah. Um so I would say if we spent ten hours on a on a design, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, ten hours screen time behind the computer. Mm-hmm. Um so and that's just one person. Any job, you know, it's going to take us two weeks. Yeah. So it's like 10. That's well, that's not 100 to one, but it seems like it, doesn't it, though? That's it's like uh, slightly more like 48, 160, 10, 16 to one. Yeah. So it's probably closer to 20 to one. I mean, because yeah. most jobs don't take 10 hours to not design. A, yeah. Not They're, a two week job. Cl- yeah, closer to like two hours. Yeah. Like um, 10 hours of design time is almost like a kitchen. Y- yeah. And that's the worst case scenario. Yeah. Like like uh, the mantles and things like that. We do those in an hour because that's all it really takes. Yeah. I mean, it's simple. So, yeah, I would say minimum 20 to 1. Yeah. And as high as 50, mm-hmm. probably. Um, well, that's it, then, boy. Yeah. Yeah, we're not making money when we're designing, for <laughs> no. the most part. So we got to have we got, more We, we want to try and nail it on that first yeah. shot, too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, not spending a lot of redesign time. No. I Like, when I do things, if I feel like I have two or three good alternates that are close... I'll do those all at the same time, you yeah, know, and yeah, have yeah. it right in my either in my back pocket or present it all at once. So I was going to say, send it off. And just you know, say, we got these three. Yeah, well, you like something there? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Not to say we don't spend time with revision, but we've gotten better at charging people for that now. Yeah, yep. All right, so what are our thoughts on the beer of the week? Uh, another good one from Kitsuna. Yeah. This reminds me quite a bit. I wish I could do a side-by-side from last week. I got them upstairs. You want to have another beer? <laughs> I'm a lightweight. <laughs> this is my one beer. It was good. It's definitely a little bit boozy. Um, you know, you can taste the alcohol, but it has that sort of like orange juice, grapefruit, grapefruit juice. Grapefruit feels yeah. like, yeah. It was good. Yeah, I like it. Um, it's just, this is a quality brewery. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. We've had three beers now, or is this two? Uh, three. It's three, and they're all super. Yeah. Yeah, We. Ha- I think we have another one coming. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the Postal Service botched that one, too. They're drinking it down at the post office right Probably. now. Probably. Yeah, it's that lady. She's smoking cigarettes inside again. Maybelline and uh, what's her name? I don't even know. I can't, we can't ever remember a name, but... Uh, Brenda? No, you always go to Brenda. It's not Brenda. <laughs> it's something like that. It's not. I'm Maureen? Gonna, it's Maureen. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Brenda, Maureen. Maureen and Brenda are at the post office right now. Mm-hmm. They put the Colt 45 kind of beer. on ice, and yeah. they're drinking this now. Bitches. <laughs> you're not allowed. You're not allowed to say that word anymore. <laughs> I give a big shout out to our gold tier patrons: Jerry Green and David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fayer, Adam Podhast, David Shoemaker, and Colin Lie. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I gotta. I gotta go to the bathroom. So. All right. I'm gonna, That's what that beer will do to you. I know. Jeez. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Episode thirty-seven next week. Seven. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thanks for tuning in. Ciao.